And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. Guys, take it away. Well, that number one, that shows you what bonds us all about because it's guy and girl today. Okay. I know. We really need to change it. We really we need, need to, to change, change this opening. And that, that, that would do away with him totally in terms of being a part of this show. I know, and I know you'd be happy about that. Well, <laughs> to some degree, yes. But, you know, overall, he's a pretty good dude. Uh, but, you know, we just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the open, you know. Yeah. We need something fresh. All right. Something new. We'll get on that. I, I think you should voice that open. Okay. Do you like my voice enough? Absolutely. You think I can voice the open? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I am Craig Heist. Good morning. This is the Bat Around, and uh, we are in for Stan Charles, Stan the fan, who is on vacation down in North Carolina, uh, celebrating his wife's birthday, and they're going down to visit some friends, and uh, I hope he has a lot of enjoyment over this weekend while I slave away up here at, in the Bat Around. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, baseball, Major League Baseball. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Bowie Bay Sox later on in this game. Uh, and you can uh, watch us on Pressbox or on Facebook Live, uh, but uh, it's streaming, and uh, it's uh, Pressbox, uh, what is it? So all you have to do is go search Pressbox, and it'll be up there on Facebook. All right, there yep. you go, and uh, you'll be able to see it. We've already shared it, so please share it with your friends if you see it up there, and uh, feel free to just uh, type in Pressbox and the entire site will come up there, and you can uh, go ahead and share and uh, be a part of the show, or at least listen listen to the show on the uh, on the uh, you know the audio version as well, but also the stream version on Facebook. Uh, we have a pretty big show for you coming up today, and uh, it's going to be uh, a lot of talk about the Orioles because they were again. Not very good last night in losing 6-4 to four to the Oakland Athletics out at the Oakland Coliseum. And that has dropped them now to 8-24 and 24 on the year. And I was looking there, 14 games out of first place uh, in the American League's Eastern Division. Uh, but uh, we are going to later on, in about 10 minutes or so, hook up with Rich Dubroff, our beat reporter for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. And we will try to delve into this a little bit. I know Rich was down in Bowie last night watching Jonathan Scope with his uh, rehab assignment. Uh, and hopefully that's one of the things the Orioles need to do uh, beside win some ball games is get a couple of uh, people that are hurt and on the disabled list back in the lineup. And Jonathan's certainly one of them. Uh, he's been dealing with that oblique. And those things can be tricky. Uh, you know, sometimes it's... You know, Matt Weeders down with the Nationals this year, came out of spring training, had an oblique issue. They grabbed it right away, took care of it. Uh, he, he had one rehab assignment after that, but pretty much it was the just the 10 days on the disabled list. But some of these oblique injuries can last two or three months, so hopefully Jonathan is okay when he gets back, and we'll talk to Rich about that. He'll be joining us shortly then. 
Uh, a little right around 10.30 or so, a little bit past that, we'll uh, be joined by Glenn Clark from Glenn Clark Radio here on PressBoxOnline.com, uh, live on Facebook every day, Monday through Friday, 10 to 12. And uh, I can only imagine what Glenn is thinking uh, watching these Orioles play day in and day out and how frustrating it is. Well, you know, it's frustrating for all of us really, if you think about it, because if you've covered the team and if you are a fan of the team and you see how things are going and you know what's coming up later on this year, I mean, obviously this team has to be sellers this year. I don't think there's any question about that. And they're going to have to find out what they can get from Manny Machado, what his value is. Uh, in a trade. Now, I think a lot of people are hoping this happens sooner rather than later, and I can agree with that to to a certain degree, but I think Manny's value is probably going to be more toward the trade deadline, which is in the end of July, Uh, and whether or not that happens, we'll have to wait and see. I, I can't imagine some of these named players on this team are not going to be traded to try to retool with as many prospects as you can get for these guys and and see if they can in some way, shape, or form turn this around. What's going to happen with Dan Duquette after the year uh, is over with? What's Buck Showalter's situation? We know both their contracts are up after this year. Uh, what does the warehouse have uh, in store or, or what are they planning? All has to be determined between now and certainly, number one, the trade deadline in terms of players are concerned. But then later on, after this season is over, and what they do uh, in the off season. So the Orioles are a hot mess, as we like to say. And uh, it's and you know you you look at the deficit and you look at eight and twenty four and you're saying, well, you know, you're five weeks in and the season is already over. And you know, for the most part, you're absolutely right. Uh, but the the deficit would not be what it is true had the Red Sox and I gotten off to a 17-2 and start. You know, so that's a large part of it. It's very reminiscent where this team is uh, and, and, and what happened back in 1984. Orioles are coming off a World Series. Now, obviously, that didn't happen last year, but the Orioles were coming off the World Series under Joe Aldebelli and the World Series win beating the Phillies uh, in five games. And then they go out next year and they start play with essentially the same team uh, however, there were some injuries in, in an aging club that kind of cost them uh, a little bit. But the other part of that was the Tigers started out 35-5, and five, and that basically buried everybody, and it was the Tigers' division not to screw up, and all they basically had to do was play 500 ball the rest of the way to go ahead and uh, uh, win that division and go on and eventually win the World Series that year, beating San Diego. Uh, in the World Series, but uh, we'll talk to Glenn a little bit about that, and you know what? We may also get, and I saw Glenn's page this week, and I saw some of what he wrote about Lamar Jackson, the Ravens' uh, first-round draft pick, who they traded down to get, thinking now they've got their quarterback of the future, and uh, he wrote a column basically saying, you know, if you were the Ravens, why wouldn't you start Lamar Jackson right now? And and I basically disagree with that, and I, I say, you know, Joe Flacco is your quarterback until, you know, Lamar is ready to play, number one. But, again, a, a Heisman Trophy winner and 
I'm not so sure, given uh, previous running athletic-type quarterbacks who aren't necessarily pure pocket passers, just and I and I know there have been others, Mike Vick being one, Randall Cunningham another one, but I can't necessarily go out on a limb and say this is the guy. And, and you want to say, well, the Ravens wouldn't have drafted him if he wasn't the guy. Well, a lot of times, and history has shown this, that it doesn't always work out that way, that somebody's that had that success in college and how that's going to relate to the NFL. It's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out with the Ravens. But we are here to talk baseball. And uh, around uh, 11 o'clock, Gary Kendall, who's the manager of the Bowie Bay Sox, will be joining us, managed his 1,000th game and also has seen some pretty dynamic players come through that place, if you think about it, and guys that have landed on the Orioles' major league roster. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the longevity that he's had there, managing and being a part of this organization, and what he's done down there and what it means to this organization. So he'll be along uh, right around 11 o'clock or shortly thereafter, and then at about 11.20, uh, radio play-by-play voice for the Washington Nationals, Dave Jagler, will join us to talk about the Nats, who after last night's win over the Phillies, uh, 7-3, have now won six in a row. And all of a sudden, that Eastern Division of the National League, very tight as the Braves are in first. Uh, the Mets, the Braves have won 7-10. of 10. The Mets have lost 7-10 of 10 after that 11-1 start. And then the Phillies are right above the Nationals. So this is a big weekend series, even though it's the first week of May. Big weekend series down at Nationals Park between those two. And the Nationals grabbed round one last night behind Gio Gonzalez, who went five innings. Could have probably gone longer, but they had a 39-minute rain delay before he came back out uh, for the fifth inning. So the Nats right now still in fourth place in the East, but uh, like I said, things have really tightened up. Phillies are three games back, and uh, the uh, or I'm sorry, two games back, and the Nats three games out of first place. And uh, we'll get him his thoughts on some other things going on around Major League Baseball as well. And lastly, because that's where he belongs, <laughs> is Bill wow. La- Bill Latson, your friend like Bill Latson of MLB.com, and uh, we'll talk to Bill about a project he's working on uh, with ex-players from the Nationals, and. Uh, it's it's all leading into this year's all-star game which will be played at nationals park and uh uh that comes up of course during the all-star break naturally in july in dc so uh we'll get his thoughts on that and his yankees are playing very well now they had won nine straight before the astros beat them but then they came back and won the next two against the astros before coming home and uh you know he's <laughs> and Bill's Bill's a strange bird in this in this way. He tells me one, you know he'll he'll text me and say the Yankees don't have what it takes. They had one nine straight. The Astros beat them one game. Yeah, the Yankees don't have what it what it takes. They're never going to win this division. They're never going to get to the playoffs this year. Then they turn around and win four straight. And then he texts me last night and says Yankees are back on track. It's amazing what they're doing. You know, so you can never get a straight answer from. From Latson, but he's going to be here and try to provide one at around 11:40 or so. And uh, let's get out to the phone lines uh, because we have Rich Dubroff from uh, Press Box and PressBoxOnline.com, our beat writer. And Rich, good morning. How are you? 
I'm great, Craig. How are you? Well, I'd be better if the Orioles were doing a little bit better, but uh, we know that's not the case. And after last night's game, uh, uh, another losing streak in the making, this time four games. It was a 6-4 to four loss in a game that they got down 4-1, came back and tied. Uh, but then Brad Brock, uh, you know, using him earlier than Buck Showalter usually uses him, uh, got a little bit of a tough break in the field where the Orioles couldn't make a, uh, a play, and it allowed one run to score. I think it was on Lowry's hit. Uh, but, uh, again, the, the bottom line is they fall. And I'm, a- I'm asking you real quick, in terms of – what we're getting and hearing from fans, and 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 I understand fans are going to be fans and they're going to vent and things of that nature, but with Manny Machado and knowing that this team is probably going to be selling off sometime during this season before the All-Star break, how do you see that going? What's the talk? How do you feel about it? Well, Craig, the, uh, the fans that I hear from are basically blow it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that they don't understand, I think, a lot of them, what blowing it up means. Yeah, I know. You know, uh, Manny, Manny Machado will probably be traded, and he should be traded because, you know, he can help get the Oriole. The return for Machado could possibly help the Orioles start turning things around for the future. Uh, but without Machado, as difficult as this first 32 games uh, has been to watch, uh, it may even be worse to watch without him. And when people say, oh, well, blow it up, well, the guys that they want traded, Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo, are impossible to trade. Right, because of contracts. You know, I mean, and, and fans... You know, you know, fans are great. Fans are great. That's why we have jobs, right? But, exactly. Uh, but I, I think that people don't understand that. You know, if they go through when and if they go through a rebuilding process, it may be a couple of years of what we've been seeing. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I don't think we're all that far removed from fourteen straight losing seasons to remember exactly what that felt like watching this team day in and day out. Well, actually, Craig, it's a lot. You know, even though we're not far removed, it's a different, you know, it's a different time. The the 14 straight losing seasons didn't occur for the most part during the instant gratification Twitter era. Right. You know, if, if people had to go through 14 straight losing seasons with, um, you know, with Twitter, uh, things would have been a lot more, you know, would have been a lot more miserable because people are not patient. They demand instant gratification, you know, and, and you know, you look at attend, you know, you look at attendance, especially for the weekday games. And in April, the attendance was horrible. And what, what's happened, I think, is the hardcore is still there. The semi-hardcore has gone from, you know, you know, interest to disinterest and the casual fans gone and that's what's going to happen you know and that's what's going to happen until they uh you know until they start turning things around i mean at 16 games under 500 this far into the se- you know at this point in the season we're only 20 percent into the season you know the, the season seems lost already yeah and that's you know it's weird to say uh you know of course they can they can get better and i actually i 
keep thinking that they're going to stabilize because the starting pitching, I think, is too good uh, for them to, uh, you know, for them to be this bad for this long. All right. Uh, my my next question becomes about Chris Tillman. And yes, we saw him bounce back and have a very nice start against the Detroit Tigers at Camden Yards. But then uh, against the Angels on the road a couple of nights ago, uh, he can't make it past the second inning and actually goes an inning plus two batters. And before you know it, the Orioles were down five runs. Uh, what is this organization's thought right now on Chris Tillman and how much longer can they do this before either they, one, maybe move somebody from the pen into that spot again? Because I don't care whether it's – number one, I don't care whether it's Mike Wright or Chris Tillman. It's, you know, you're not getting that much better with one over the other. So does that mean – Maybe maybe they move Castro to that start. Do they bring somebody up from the minor leagues? Well, I think the, I, I think that you have just elaborated on what the problem is. There that there isn't an easy solution. Uh, Castro didn't look very good in uh, in relief of Tillman the other night, right? When when he was uh, you know when he was battered, uh, and Mike Wright pitched very very poorly. Uh, when he started before uh, Alex Cobb came. There's nobody in the minors that sort of jumps out at you. David Hess would be about the, uh, uh, about the best uh, candidate. Uh, and, and you, know, it may, you know, it may come to that for now. I mean, Harvey, Hunter Harvey isn't ready yet. So there, there aren't great candidates. But one of the interesting things, Craig, is that I think that you know, the fans are so frustrated with the whole team that each day, each day or each couple of days, they, they, they have their own villain, okay? For right. a couple of days now, it's Chris Tillman. You know, before that, it was Chris Davis. You know, they, that they were, that one, one player uh, sort of symbolizes what's wrong with the team. And right now, it's, it's Chris Tillman's turn to be the, uh, uh, you know, to, to be the symbol of uh, fans' antagonism. Right. And, and I, I think that, you know, I think he'll, he... He may get another start or two. Uh, we'll see. I mean, he really did pitch brilliantly uh, last Friday, but the other starts have been pretty bad. So I think you know, I think that's interesting. But the the point to me is that if you had to pick out one player of all you know of all the things that have gone wrong so far this year, one player who symbolizes what's wrong, I think it's Jonathan Scope. Yeah, I think it's the absence uh, of Jonathan Scope in the time wa- and my time watching the team. I think this is the most costly position player injury that I have seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when Scope was in there, they weren't playing well, but they were five and nine, and he was starting to hit. You know, since he's been gone, uh, you know, it, it's just gone. To- you know, it's just gone totally south. Right. You know, now, now uh, let me ask what, you this. 15? Now, no, let me, uh, I was so, gonna... And then, you know, you watch the, you watch the people who have tried to uh, replace him at second base. Oh, yeah. Beckham, uh, Luis Sardinius, and Joe uh, Vialma, uh, and uh, Jace Peterson. And, you know, they're all, they're all not close to being up to scope standards. The Orioles didn't have a, um, you know, a handy replacement 
for scope. And I think that, you know, if they had had scope for these games, you know, they, they wouldn't be good. But, you know, we wouldn't be talking about the season being a total disaster. We, You know, people would be very worried about the team. But this has just been awful. And then it leads into the, the, your point about Manny Machado that you just made. Well, you know, if the, when, when if the Orioles trade Manny Machado, they're going to have to get back a major league-ready infielder to take his place. No question about they it. They don't have any in the minor leagues. No question about it. Well, now you saw – you were at Bowie last night, correct? I was. And you saw Jonathan Scope with, uh, I guess, part one of his maybe three-day rehab. Uh, where it is because of the weather being what it is around here, he may go to Norfolk to play the next two days. But how did he look to you last night? Well, he looked fine in the, he looked fine in the field. And that was, you know, uh, that, that was what they needed to see. Uh, you know, he's hitting he, – he, he was up twice. He uh, struck out the first time. He popped out weakly to first base the second time. but And then, you know, they would have liked to have gotten him a third at bat. But uh, as you know, the rains came in, uh, after four and a half innings, and they didn't want to put Scope back out there when the game resumed mm. because uh, having him on a, on a damp field – with an oblique injury would be uh, would be um, treacherous. So they're sending him to Norfolk for two more games to, uh, uh, tonight and tomorrow. And then if everything goes well, you should see him uh, on Tuesday. But in the field, he you know he had a couple of chances and he he did very well. All right. Uh, in terms of the starting pitching, and you mentioned, I mean, if there was one thing heading into this season, everybody was concerned about, even after the Cashner and Cobb moves, even though a lot of people thought that stabilized things, which I think it did to a large degree, uh, because obviously midway through spring training, you were still looking at, you know, Gosman and Bundy, and then who else is going to be a part of this thing? But in, in terms of Alex Cobb, we saw three that weren't real good, but I thought the last time out, even though it wasn't a win, he wound up pitching pretty well. So it looks like, you know, his spring training in games that count, you know, looks to be just about near the end. So I'm, I'm looking for good things from Alex Cobb. Kashner, the last couple times out, hasn't been as good as he had been the previous two or three. So I'm, I'm wondering how you're looking at this from a, from a starting rotation uh, going from now until maybe up till the, you know, the end of May. Well, I, I wouldn't be so worried about the starters. I know Dylan Bundy has had, you know, a couple of rough starts, right. but he had some good ones. And Kevin Gosman has, has pitched very well of late. You know, Kashner has most of his starts have been okay. Last night wasn't, you know, wasn't very good. But, uh, I mean, he certainly has been, you know, representative. And I, and I think Cobb, uh, you know, yeah, pitched well the other, he pitched well the other night. And also in the game, uh, in the game against Tampa Bay, he pitched pretty well for four innings until things started cratering on him in, in the fifth inning. Uh, and then, of course, the first two were, were very, very bad. But it shows the importance of spring training. Yeah. Uh, you can, you know, other than Jake Arrieta, who signed late, it seems like all the pitchers who, who signed late uh, you know, haven't pitched very well. And it shows you that I think that you need spring training not only to develop your arm and get your timing down, but 
in the case of Alex Cobb, going to a new team, working with new catchers, working with new infielders. And then, you know, he didn't pitch in any minor league games. He pitched in simulated games. So I, I think it, it shows that it's hard to, to replicate major league games in, in, in simulated games. Right. And I, I think that the Cobb signing will turn out to be a good one. Well, I think and it, I think that that will help stabilize the team, and you know maybe they can uh, you know may, maybe they can make the season not a total disaster. I think that'll turn out to be a real good signing for this club as well. And and the other part about that too is uh, if you're out there looking, does this club have any interest? Do you think of taking a chance on? Uh, on Matt Harvey? On, on Harvey, who was released or, you know, released from the Mets yesterday or DFA'd. Right. I wouldn't, I, they had interest in him uh, in the offseason, you know, in making a, you know, in making a trade for him. Uh, the thing that augurs to me that gives me pause uh, about Matt Harvey is that you had, the Mets have a new manager in Mickey Calloway, who is a very astute pitching guy, mm-hmm. who was a, a terrific pitching coach, by all accounts, for the Indians. And they have a good pitching coach in Dave Island. And they tried to work with Matt Harvey, and it didn't work. And they, they were very frustrated. You know, they were very frustrated, and they, they gave up on him. So I think, well, I'm, you know, I think Roger McDowell is a, a good pitching coach, but if if it didn't work with Mickey Calloway and Dave Island, I don't know that it would work with Roger McDowell. Uh, but why not? You know, if you could get them cheaply enough, why not? Right. You take a chance. You know, take a chance. Well, you take a chance, but you also know that you got some baggage coming with it, and that's the fact that one, he doesn't seem to have a very good attitude about a lot of things. Two, well, he's going to have to change that. You know, there, he's no question, have to change that attitude somewhere else to be successful. It's no question. I mean, you're talking about a guy who that or here that uh, number one. You remember back to the post, he, he pitched hurt and didn't want to come out of the game, and that wound up costing him because he got hurt even worse because of it, and then. Uh, there's the time where, you know, he was out the night before and didn't show up to the ballpark, and they had to deal with that. So there, there's some baggage there that there's no question. He's going to definitely have to change if he's going to want a shot uh, with somebody else. When you look at this team's record, and uh, I, and I know we're talking 8-24 and 24 this year so far, but if you look at the last 162 dating back to last year, uh, this team has uh, wound up gone, going 61 and 101. So if you look at it in terms of the whole, a whole season of 162, uh, you're losing 100 games. And, Rich, I always tell everybody, I think it's as tough to lose 100 games as it is to win 100 games. Well, I think if you look at uh, as as closely as you follow baseball, both leagues, you'll notice that, um, there are five teams right now on pace to lose a hundred games mm-hmm. or more in, in the major leagues. That things have, uh, you know, th- things have changed. Uh, and right now, the Orioles are on pace to lose 121. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, they're 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 preci- they're basically twenty uh, percent into the season. And you extrapolate that, and you have 120. Looks like you have 121 losses. So. Uh, 
one thing is, I think that you're going to see new players. You know, you're not going to go through, you know, they've changed on the fly already. They've used, I think, 35 players already, 34, 35. They'll use a lot more. And, you know, they'll bring some guys up from, uh, you know, from, from Bowie and Norfolk. And I think that you'll see, you know, you'll see some, or and get guys from outside the organization. So what they have now, I don't think will be, you know, what they have now, what they have in July and August. And hopefully it'll be, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully it'll be better. But, uh, you know, you may have, uh, you know, you may have, as we said earlier, an, an extended period of, uh, of difficult baseball to watch. Right. And, and that brings me to my next question. And we're talking with Rich Dubroff from uh, PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Does such a great job covering the Orioles for us. And And my last question before we let you go is, with this front office, you know, when when you get off to the kind of start the Orioles have gotten off to, you know, I see a lot of the firebuck type, you know, statements and, and messages on, on social media boards and things of that nature. But his contract is up. Dan Duquette's contract is up. What do you think is going to happen with either one of those two and how much of a factor – is Brady Anderson in the future for this club? Not that he isn't a big factor already. Well, Brady Anderson, you know, has uh, has had an increasing role in the in the front office. Uh, you know, the guys we mentioned, uh, Andrew Kashner and Alex Cobb and Chris Tillman. Well, Brady was instrumental in 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 signing all three of those guys, and I think that you'll see a lot more of that in the future. I, I think one of the most interesting things with the club is going to be, you know, tracking uh, what's going to happen over the next uh, few months. You know, over the next few months, uh, you know, will Buck Showalter be back uh, next year? Does he want to be back next year? He's into. He indicated before this year that he he'd like to be back, uh, but you know, if they if it turns out that the season is a is a total uh, disaster. Then maybe he doesn't want to be back, or you know, I can't see them firing him uh, because he. I think he does remain he does remain popular, and I don't know that getting another manager necessarily uh, turns things around here. Right, uh, and I think that you know, I think that he would have the stomach for a rebuild. You know, he had the stomach in, in when he first got. To Baltimore, right? To to go through part of the rebuilding process, I think that he has the intellect and the you know uh, and the emotions to deal with a couple of years of, of of rocky baseball as they you know as they write the ship. He loves the he loves doing the job, you know. I, he has incre- you know he has incredible passion and incredible energy, and I think it would be a mistake. For him to not be here, but you know, but who knows? This is uh, this is really uh, very very uncharted territory. Yeah, well, if you think about his days with the Yankees and then with the Diamondbacks and the Rangers, I mean, you know, he's done this before. There's no question about it, and there's no question that he can get the job done. You know, given the right amount of talent to be able to do it. Yeah, and I think that you know, and and I think. One of the things that people don't know about Buck is his overall knowledge of 
the organization. I mean, he has great knowledge of, of baseball in general, but of the organization, he knows something about every player in the or, you know in the organization. He right. watches tape of uh, of minor league games, and on off days, sometimes he, he'll go to minor league games to watch uh, players he's uh, he's interested in. And I think that that's that, that's something that's very very valuable to the uh, organization. And it, you know, it's something that I, I think a lot of fans don't know about. Right. Rich, we appreciate the time on this Saturday. It's not a very pretty uh, situation with the Orioles right now. And, you know, for as much – and this, I always tell people this. As reporters, anybody that tells you that they don't want their team to do well, that they cover, I think is lying because it makes the job a lot more enjoyable. And, well, and it's, not, not, that there's that, not, it's not that there's not stories to cover when they're bad, but well, it's a lot more fun when always, they're winning. Yeah. But not only that, Craig, you know, for years I used to just say, oh, well, I, you know, I tried to play it down the middle. But, you know, more people read your stuff, especially now. Yeah. You know, you know it because of, you know, because digital uh, media is, is measured. More people are interested. More people read your stories when, you know, for the most part, when they're winning. You know, you get those casual fans. You get those semi-casual those semi-hardcore fans, I, I was, you know, talking about at the top. So, uh, no, it makes your it makes your job more pleasant because the clubhouse is a more pleasant place, and the stadium is a, a more pleasant place. And people aren't asking you all the time what's wrong and mm-hmm. complaining, and that's you know that's great because as I said we wouldn't have jobs without them. That's right. But it, but yes, overall our jobs are are easier when they're win when they win, but. No, this, this job is still better than so many of the, the more difficult and more important things that people do uh, in everyday life. Because uh, I've had people say to me, oh, well, this, this, must be, this must be so depressing and so tough. Well, I don't have to, you know, work at a construction site and do hard physical labor yeah. or, or be a nurse. Or, or be a teacher, or be a firefighter, or an EMS person. Those are the people who do the real work in the country, right. not sports people. Exactly. What do we always say? Well, it beats digging ditches for a living, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, Rich Dubroff, PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Thanks so much for being with us, and we'll talk to you again down the road. Always a pleasure, Craig. Thank All you. right, Rich Dubroff. And, uh, again, it's one of those situations where if you're covering this team – and you're watching it day in and day out. I, I know it's frustrating for the fans, but it's it's just as frustrating for a reporter because y- you are closer to the to the players. Because a lot of fans say, "Well, you know, they make all these millions of dollars, and they don't really care." No, trust me, they care. And then you know, you know, sometimes you watch a guy get sent out down to the minor leagues and. Uh, you know, depending on the person, it's it's sometimes a tough thing to watch as they're packing their stuff up out of their locker and getting ready to, you know, head back, knowing they're not going to be a part of the major league team. So yeah, it really is a, a, a situation where uh, you you want your team that you're covering, I think, to do well because it does. It makes your job a lot easier. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we'll hook up with Glenn Clark from Glenn Clark Radio, and we'll get his views on what exactly is going on with this team, which can't seem to get out of its own way. We're going to do that when we come back right after this. 
What could be better than a night out at the ballpark with the Aberdeen Ironbirds? How about five nights at the ballpark to five sold-out weekend games? With the Ironbirds' best ticket plan, you'll get to see fireworks, a national entertainment act, or a special guest appearance every game, while reaping the rewards of a season seat member like a unique giveaway and a priority access to playoff tickets and special events all for just $50 a seat. For more information, go to ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-9292. That's 410-297-9292. You and your family don't want to miss out on the Iron Birds' best ticket plan ever. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Get Memorial Day savings right now on over 1,300 new and used Toyotas, Chevys, SUVs, trucks, cars, minivans, etc. at Jerry's Auto Group. Up to $11,000 off every vehicle in stock and plenty with financing as low as 0%. Have you been putting off getting a new or gently used vehicle? Well, it's May and no better time to go test drive one than now. So head over to Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road and Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing with approved credit. Savings vary by model. Sale ends May 31st. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about Blueberry Pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about Hammer and Nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the Ultimate Man Cave Nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever 
game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out, and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the Close Edge Razor Shave, all at Hammer & Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer & Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer & Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. Welcome back to the Bat Around. I'm Craig Heiss sitting in for Stan the Fan Charles this Saturday morning as uh, Stan is taking a little bit of a vacation down in North Carolina. And uh, we are talking all things Major League Baseball and all things baseball in general. And uh, joining us on the phone right now is our good buddy Glenn Clark uh, from Glenn Clark Radio, which you can hear and see every weekday, 10 to 12, right here. And uh, Monday through Friday. Glenn, good morning. How are you? I see. I am so sorry that you guys are stuck talking baseball all year, uh, <laughs> considering oh, what in the world is worth talking about right now. Wait a minute. Something, something that might be just as dreadful as the Orioles' 8-24 and start after last night's 6-4 to loss to the Athletics. I have to ask you, uh, what time did you get home with the kid after you had to put him in the oh car and drive him around? <laughs> Hi, see, You have no idea. All right, so it's it's one thirty in the morning, and it, like we've been dealing, the, the, the kid it, like has had like four ear infections already in the ten months that he's been alive, and so we're putting tubes in his ears in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I feel bad for him. You know what I mean? Like obviously, like I, I just feel awful because he can just tell he's miserable. But the bit now is that like he starts screaming, you know, gets me to come in. I say, all right, maybe we'll try putting him in the bed, whatever. He just wakes up. Like he's not even screaming anymore. He's just up. He wants to hang out. He wants to chat. He's talking to me now. He's, he's, he's trying to sing. I don't know what he's trying to do. And so I got to do something to get him to go to bed. So my move, since he's been alive, I know if I put him in the car, he'll go to bed. If I, if I drive him around in the car, he'll go to bed. So about 1.30 last night. I take the 10-month-old, I stick him in the car seat, I drive him around for a little bit. I probably, I, like, he was asleep within five minutes of being in the car. But you got to make sure he stays asleep, right? Like, you can't just turn right back around and run the risk of him waking up the moment you park the car. So, um, yeah, I was out driving around until about 2.30 last night, and I walked <laughs> into my wife and I said, i got to do a phone call at 10.30 tomorrow morning if you wake me up before that. I will absolutely murder everyone. <laughs> so thankfully, um, I, I got back home around 2.30, and I've probably been asleep since 3 until probably about five minutes ago when my alarm went off. Well, so it actually worked out okay. Well, pal, that's why I ask. <laughs> yeah. Let me yeah, let me ask you, let me ask you something. Uh, you're watching what's going on with this baseball team because you talk about yeah. it every day. Uh as much as I want to think that somehow, some way, this thing is going to stabilize itself, and, and to, to some degree, I still feel that way, but I, I was reading something. I told uh, Rich Dubroff this just within the last half hour. I said, you know, this team is, you know, over their last 162 games – so that's a whole yeah. full season, but over their last 162, they're 61 and 101, dating back to last year. And for all the optimism with adding Cobb and Kashner, and then you win the the opener on you know Adams walk off and this and that, 
to have this be where it is right now is really unthinkable to me. I'm with you, Heisty. You know, obviously, I think the, the the troubling part right now is that we were at least arguing that starting pitching was better. And if we take a look at what's happened the last couple of weeks, that's a difficult argument for us to continue to make. Right. Um, I think the reality is that while maybe it's not as utterly dreadful as it was a season ago, um, I don't think it's quite the solution that maybe we were hoping it was for a minute. I still think Dylan Bundy's better than what he's been the last couple of times out. Um, you have to hope that maybe you saw something from Alex Cobb that shows that you know he's going to be Alex Cobb again. And for the most part, I still think there's reason to be pleased with what you've seen from Kevin Gosman, you know, compared to first half Kevin Gosman for the last couple of years. Right. But um, I think the notion that the starting pitching could be part of the solution, I, I think maybe we have to, to come back to earth a little bit and remember that it's still sort of what it is and kind of hope for the best the rest of the way. I, I, I'm, you know, part of what you're talking about, Heisey, is I'm struggling with why would people watch? You know, like what what are you watching for if you're still watching? Well, if you're because, if you, if you're a baseball, well, I got an answer for that. If you're a baseball yeah. fan. And you care about your team, the team that and, you, and the right. team that you root for. If you're a baseball fan and you care about that, and the team that you root for, you're going to watch games. I know sure, when I was sure. a kid. Now, now, I mean, sure. when I was a kid, the Orioles from '65 to '84 had the winningest winningest franchise in major league in the major leagues at that point. A lot of it right. because of Earl Weaver. And the one thing you always knew about an Earl Weaver managed team was that you were going to be playing meaningful baseball. You might not have always won it, but you're going to right. play meaningful baseball in the last month of the season. And right. while Buck Showalter's provided that quite a few times over the last six, seven years, you're, you're not going to be able to say that this year, and you almost well, couldn't say it last year. Uh, well, you could say it for a little while last year, yeah. right? I mean, like at least, at least last year – even into August, you still believe there was a chance of something. Right. What you're dealing with now is it's, it's May, and we don't think there's any hope or any reason for any chance for anything. So well, I, you are right. There's, there's a percentage of people that just love baseball. It's what keeps them company on, on summer nights, and I know that feeling, and it's what you're used to, and you're just going to watch the games. I guess the question is for the for the rest of for the rest of the fan base mm -hmm. that that is looking for something that's going to excite them, that's going to drive them, that that's looking for a reason other than the game is on for them to turn it on. And and this is the struggling part for me. Like for me, I, you know, you could say, "Hey, it's Manny Machado. This is your last chance to watch Manny Machado." But I think for some people, it's it's kind of bittersweet to watch Manny Machado right now, right? right. Like you know, he's not long for Baltimore at this point. So is it is it the hope of, of, if you're really bad, you want to watch young players and see if there's hope for the future? Well, there's not a ton of those guys that are even playing right now. You know, like there's right. Trey Mancini, there's Chance Cisco, and that's kind of about it right now as far as position players are concerned. This is not a young nucleus of players where you're watching to see the next group of guys that might be able to do something special. So it'll be interesting to me to see if there's a point at which it gets so bad. And I know DJ Stewart's actually been struggling recently, so I don't know that they're in a rush to get him here. But it's interesting to me to see if there's a point at which we see 
Austin Hayes or we see DJ Stewart or we see a couple more of these guys. Unfortunately, there's nobody in the infield, which is a bit of a disaster considering, um, you know, Manny Machado is going to be gone. And I don't know what to make of Tim Beckham right now and, and what he's going to be moving forward. And, you know, Jonathan Scope's contracts up the following year. There's just really nobody behind them. Um, you know, maybe Ryan Mountcastle down the line, but, you know, we still think that's a ways away and he hasn't even played yet this season. Right. So, you know, I, that part to me could be what makes the season interesting later, but there's even only a few options there for guys that, that could, could come up here and, and be asked to try to play uh, and make an impact here that would be guys that we'd be wanting to watch the next few years. And that's the, that's the really tricky part. Like I know we've sold ourselves in the idea that the, the system is not as bad as it was, and I believe that. I don't think the system is as bad as it was, say, five years ago. But it's still not like there's a group of guys that we believe could come up and, and, and that this is only, you know, there's a there's a nucleus of players that would really make this team much better in, in two years. Right. And when you when you think about Manny Machado, you know, the one thing I get a lot on social media now is, you know, you got to trade him now. Obviously, right. with Seager out, there was a, a, a real good fit, if you will. Right. With, with the Dodgers, but the, the bottom line here, though, is I think a lot of people would want to see this done sooner rather than later, but yeah. my argument with that is you're probably going to get more value for Manny this year at the trade deadline than maybe at any other time. Um, okay, so a couple of thoughts. I, I agree that, you know, at this point there's no reason to not do something with Manny. Right. But, Heisey, I think you know as well as I do that, that these trades just typically don't happen in May. Right, um, and, and that's what it, I mean. That's what I mean. It's you know, probably it, – it, and the reason they don't happen in May is because of what I just th- said. Right, no, Te- no teams- one knows truly how good they are, and so no one's desperate. No one is, you know – When you bring up the Dodgers right now, I think the Dodgers have to really look at themselves in the mirror and try to figure out if they even think they can compete in that division. Mm -hmm. Um, And particularly when we're talking about taking on a contract that would put them at that luxury tax threshold, are are they going to risk going over the luxury tax threshold if they're not even good? I mean, with, with, with Corey Seager... They were a bad baseball team to start the season. Now I know they, but they threw a no hitter last night, and there's there's plenty of talent there, and there's reason to believe that they're better than they were when they the first couple of weeks of the season. But the Diamondbacks look really good. I mean, they look really good. I don't know if a team can say today, "Hey, it's worth taking on," you know, what's still the better part of maybe ten million dollars and putting ourselves right at that threshold if we don't know for sure that we're going to have a chance to win this division. And so I think there's a lot of teams that are in similar situations. You know, and, and by the way, the, the Diamondbacks being an interesting team, right? If I'm the Diamondbacks, I might think now is my chance to win the division. And so maybe I, I'm, I'm making that call and trying to be aggressive. That maybe, you know, an extra couple of months of Manny Machado ends up being the difference for, for us and being able to finish things off and making sure that we win the division. But all that being said, you're right. I mean, this is just not, this just isn't when trades are made, which doesn't mean, and I, I, you have to hope, and this is where the other awkwardness about the Orioles comes in, which is who's really running the baseball side of things right now. Like, I know Dan Duquette's the general manager, but was it Dan Duquette that signed Alex Cobb or was it Brady Anderson that signed Alex Cobb? Well, and, and that's, if Brady Anderson, yeah. Yeah, if Brady Anderson's going to be the GM moving forward, then is Brady Anderson really the general manager right now? I mean, this is another just level of awkwardness in this whole situation that I, I, 
I can't answer, and I don't know that anyone else can answer directly that isn't involved. I think that we all kind of have our beliefs as to what's going on, right. but I don't think anybody can say specifically what's happening. But, you know, of course they should be fielding phone calls. I mean, they'd be crazy to not be fielding phone calls. And I don't believe for a second that anybody's saying, no, there's no way we'd listen to anything related to Manny Machado. It's just that, as you say, the likelihood of that type of trade coming in May is slim. Those trades get made as you get closer to the trade deadline and teams decide, okay, we think we know who we are. Now we need to be willing to make a bold move in order to try to finish that off. Yes, obviously the Orioles should try to deal Manny Machado. Of course, every you don't need to, to be much of a thinker in order to figure that one out. Yeah, like, you, you and I can figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know it's just not it's just not something before Memorial Day. I mean, how many big baseball trades can you even think of in your life, Icy, oh, that yeah. happened before Memorial Day? You're right. You're right. But now again, again, what you bring up about Brady Anderson is. Going forward, uh, and we know Dan's the the GM, obviously. But uh, at what po- point in this structure, you know, with with the where with with the Angelos boys, you know, obviously more running the show now, right? Uh, uh, you know, because of Dad, and and at what point do we really know or get a feel? for what's going to happen with Dan at the end of the year, and for that matter, what's going to happen with Buck. I can't see Buck leaving. I That, to me, is just, I don't think that's going to happen. I th- certainly, I don't expect Dan Duquette to be here after the year. I, I've been operating on the same premise that you are, Heisty. I mean, this is, my belief has been that in 2019, Brady Anderson will be the general manager and Buck Showalter will be the manager of the Orioles. Now, the part that I don't know, and this is the tricky part, I don't know if there's some part of Buck that just says, I don't know if I want to keep managing a baseball team if I'm going to be forced to have Rule 5 players on my roster, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to be forced to sort of manage with with one hand behind my back. Right. Um, And and, and that brings up another interesting point. If there's change and and if the, the, the Suns are running this thing, might there be a change in philosophy in terms great, of great question in right, terms great of question. spending money on scouting spending international yep. money to get players yep yep all these things no i and that would be the type of thing i would like to think that's not a conversation that that, that they haven't had already yeah. but i mean like i'd like to think that as it's become clear that that John and Lou we're, we're taking o- over and that it's clear that Brady's role has expanded. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's arguing with that. I would like to think that's a conversation that they've had with Buck. Now, if you're having that conversation with Buck, why you don't go ahead and get something done? And that's the, that's the strange part to me. Like, it, okay, we start to understand a little bit more who's making decisions. This picture is becoming a little bit more clear. So why, why haven't we agreed to an extension with Buck yet? Like, mm-hmm. why hasn't that happened? And so, that part is still a little, little weird to me, and you wonder everything you know about Buck. Buck's always wanted to have more control everywhere he's been. Um, it's It's been one of the things that we've given him credit for here is that he's worked in a situation where he didn't he didn't have to micromanage. That was one of his reputations from past stops is that he was a micromanager, and we thought for the most part that hasn't been the case. But as Buck's sort of saying, hey, look, you know, the, the truth is I, I want to be more of a factor in personnel decisions. And, you know, if Brady's the general manager, I want to be general manager B. Is there some world in which Buck says, I would rather just be in the front office right. and not manage the team on a day-to-day basis? 
these are the things that, that we don't really know the answers to. And I'm not suggesting that I do or that even there's a possibility that these things are happening. It's just, it's weird to me if we know that Buck wants to be here moving forward and the other things are in place. Like, we know that John and Lou are in charge. We know that Brady's going to make the baseball decisions. Why wouldn't they go ahead and, and get a Buck Showalter extension taken care of? Like, what, what would they be waiting for? Why would they continue to let someone manage in a lame duck season, particularly as bad as it's been to this point? You would think that in order to continue to inspire the young players, mm-hmm. you would like to say, hey, by the way, don't forget, this guy is going to be your manager moving forward. This is, you know, don't, don't start to tune him out because you think somebody else is going to be in charge next year. Um, and I'm not suggesting that's even happening right now. And again, it's, it's a very small number of young players that we're even talking about that are on this roster. I don't think that anybody's lost respect for Buck Showalter. I don't think that happened. Well, but, um, you know, it, it just seems weird. I, I have a friend of mine who uh, made a small wager before the season started, you know, and it was yeah. the, the over-under on wins for the Orioles were seven, was 72. And, yeah. and and I told this said friend, I said, oh, no question about it. Take the over. Oh, of course. <laughs> and, right? Of course. And, and, and now I've probably yeah. cost that man a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, probably true. I see. You're probably going to owe him a dinner or something uh, like that. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those yeah. things. <laughs> it's, um, it's bad, man. It's, it's, it's really bad. Look, I, I, there's, I, there's still reason for hope. I wrote a column before the season that I think there is hope in what is going on away from the baseball field. Right. I think there's hope in that. Look, again, I know Alex Cobb hasn't been great since he arrived, but just the fact that they were still willing to sign a pitcher for four years and more money yeah. than they'd ever given a pitcher before. is a good sign. Them, yeah, they're not packing it in. Right. They're not just saying we're not going to try. You don't do that. If your plans are just give up. Now, I get it. It's frustrating because you're, you're not going to see Manny Machado. Everybody knows that. I don't know what ultimately the plan is going to be with Jonathan Stoke. I don't know if they're going to end up offering him the money that they need to in order to get him to resign. And if they're not, I, I would think that he should be a player that they should be more aggressively trying to trade this trade deadline while he has an extra year of team control available for whoever gets him to see if you can't get a robust package. Right. For Jonathan Scope. Exactly. Um, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen in those situations. But I do know that you don't sign a pitcher for four years and more money than you'd ever given to a pitcher. And I get it that part of that is because the Orioles don't give a lot of money to starting pitchers. But you don't do that if you're just gonna pack it in and you're not going to try in the coming years. You add that with the the other things that we've talked about that are positive, the the free tickets for kids thing, the relationship that they've created with Navy and it it's there something has changed and I'm not this is not me trying to speak ill of someone who appears to be approaching death right now. So I'm not trying to take shots at Peter Angelos. This is, there are good things that appear to be happening as John and Lou take over. And when you talk to John, and I think everybody can speak to this, it's very difficult to come away from a conversation with John Angelos thinking this guy does not have the best interests of the fan base and of the city in mind. Yeah, I, I, totally, a, I totally agree with that premise. There's no question about yeah. it. He's a thoughtful dude. He cares about the role that a baseball team plays in the city. He's just a little bit different than a typical business person and a typical baseball owner. Right. Those are positive things. Now, that, I see that, that doesn't matter if they can't figure out ways to win baseball games, right? Like, you can give away as many tickets as you want to kids. If there's nothing worth seeing, nobody's going to want to get those tickets for free. Right. So, 
it, it's got to be met by something better on the baseball field. But I'm not as difficult as this is, as infuriating as it is, and as much as you would rather them either be really good or really young and rebuilding, I still think there are positives surrounding the baseball team that haven't necessarily existed even as they've been winning in the last you know five, six years. Right. So I have hope. I believe things. I, look, it's going to be a rough year. It's going to be a really rough year. And as I said, I, you know, I'm I'm sorry that you guys are, are beholden to having to talk baseball for two hours every week because well, it's going to be tough. I got to cover it every night. What are you talking about? I know, I know, no <laughs> doubt. Like at least at least I can duck out and like talk about the Preakness for a couple weeks or what? something, and then get back into Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson. At well, some point. now like, at you least know I can, that was the other oh, thing. I, that was the other thing I was going to yeah. bring up with you while I yeah. had you on. Uh Anybody that thinks that Joe Flacco isn't the starting quarterback of this team when this year starts is fooling themselves. Well, I didn't. Again, I say I didn't. I don't. I think he's going to be. I'm. I'm very clear about that. I don't think they're going to do this. I, if, if you heard, if you understand what I'm saying, so you have a coach that's his contract is up following the 2019 season, right? Which means at the end of this year, he's a lame duck, right? Okay. And in the NFL, you just don't have your coach coach in a lame duck year. It just doesn't happen. You don't do that. You don't allow your coach to coach in a lame duck year. That's the reason why the Ravens a year ago gave John that weird one year extension, you know, so that they would they wouldn't put themselves in a position where they had to make a decision this offseason. They bought themselves an extra year. My point is, so at the end of this year, you're either gonna have to give John an extension or you're gonna have to move on, one way or the other. If you give him an extension based on what he and his staff did with Joe Flacco this season, and now you're going to move, you're going to change quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson is going to become your quarterback in the next year or two. And you gave your head coach an extension without having any clue if his staff can succeed with the next quarterback. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Doesn't make That's, a lot. Of, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I understand where you're going, but I'm for those people out there. And I'm not saying you're one of them, but for those people out there who think that Joe Flacco has done this and that and everything else, I, I will argue there are different parts now around Joe Flacco that, right. if, that if you give him an offensive line and some semblance of a running game, there's not a question in my mind that that man cannot make plays down the field. Oh, I see. I'm totally – this is – look, I would have never drafted a quarterback. Let me make this very yeah. clear. Okay. I, I, this is this is not me. I have no doubts in Joe Flacco. I You know, doubt. I don't know what you call that. I, I believe Joe Flacco is still capable of being a very good NFL quarterback, and I think they've done him wrong, frankly, yeah. over the last couple of years in not giving him good football players to work with and instead choosing to spend their money on Tony Jefferson. And I, I'm not I'm not trying to go to war on Tony Jefferson, but it was poorly spent money. Right. They they got a semi-decent football player that they spent a lot of money on when they could have gone out and gotten now Sean Jeffrey, who only sort of changed the fortunes of the Eagles and oh, helped the Eagles, them win a right, Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so... I'm, I'm with you. The problem is they did. They spent a first-round pick on a quarterback. They spent two second-round picks in order to get up there and, and get a quarterback. They're clearly going to – Lamar Jackson is going to be the team's quarterback at some point. Well, um, it, well, you, and, you, you would certainly hope, but I will say this. Yeah. I will say this. Different style of quarterback, and a lot of times and, – and I saw this down the road – a lot of times that does not translate into – good or great NFL quarterback. Wholly, wholly agree, wholly understand. I see you and I are, are, are really on the same page with this. And I know you're thinking about what happened in D.C. with Robert Griffin III. Although, right. in fairness, 
you know, in, the, in his rookie year, Robert Griffin III looked like a miracle. <laughs> right, you know, and now they're friends. both here. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, my, my, the entirety, the, 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 the kicker for my point is simply, I, I, all of these reasons are why it's super weird that they did this. It's super weird that with a coaching staff only under contract, going into a lame duck year potentially, that they drafted a quarterback. That's a super weird move, right? Like, And maybe the answer is, Steve just turns around and gives John Harbaugh another three years right now in order to make this not matter. Just to right. say, look, I'm just going to commit to these guys. But we're talking about Marty Morningweg, and I think you and I share very similar feelings about Marty Morningweg. Yes. Um, and, and if you're saying we have so much faith in Marty Morningweg because once upon a time he had a really good year with Michael Vick as his quarterback, right. that we just believe in him long term, I, I, I think that's insane too. <laughs> like, I think that's also nuts. I don't know why they did this. I disagree with it. But once they did it, I, I need this guy. You have to be able to measure this coaching staff by what they do with their future quarterback. Otherwise, why would you tie them to that quarterback long term? Right. Um, it's something they've got to think about. And I don't know how things play out. And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And again, as, as I wrote, I don't think they're going to do this. But the reason why I wrote that Lamar Jackson should play is because you've got to make a decision as a franchise about your coaching staff and without knowing that Marty Morningweg and, and James Urban and um, Greg Roman can make it work with that guy, you got to think about whether or not you might need a new staff in place that can make it work given what you're talking about, the very unique skill set that Lamar Jackson has. Well, I know we call this show the bat around, but for the last four or five minutes it was the kick around. Yeah, that's true. All that's right, true. So, but that, that's it. That's Now I'm done. Now I'm done and you can go back to base. Glenn Clark from Glenn Clark Radio right here, PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com. Uh, enjoy your week, sir, and we'll try to Thank catch you, up soon. I need I need to get on your show, and I need to come up just, here one morning. You know the deal. You just tell me the day. Yeah, like, it's I, an I open door policy. For but me, but right? I also like sleep. <laughs> That's yeah, I hear you on that. Trust no. me, it does not offend me and, that you don't want to come up. But all right, you and, tell me you tell me the day, and I I love having you. And, and I'm not I'm not going to be out. In, at two or three in the morning, I'm yeah, not dri driving around. my kid around either. If I'm coming home at two or three in the morning, it's because I've been someplace. <laughs> uh, you got work to do. I understand, pal. I All understand. right, Trust Glenn me. Clark. Thanks a lot for being with us. All right, buddy. Love you. We'll talk All to you right. soon. Yeah, Glenn Clark, and uh, the bat around continues, and we're going to try to hook up with uh, Gary Kendall, who's uh, the manager of the Bowie Bay Sox, and uh, try to get him uh, to talk a little bit about. Not just what's going on with his team this year. They're in the middle of a series with Akron at home this weekend, and currently uh, they are uh, in even 500 uh, so far this year. I think 13 up, 13 down. Uh, but the other part about this is uh, Gary's reached a milestone with the Bay Sox, and, and that, that is uh, managing his uh, 1,000th career game. And... Really, when you talk about longevity, that says a whole lot. And uh, to have him as part of this organization is really a feather in the Orioles' cap. And joining us on the line right now is Mr. Kendall. Gary, how are you this morning? Good. I'm doing fine. How are you all? I'm all right. Craig Heist in for Stan the Fan. And, and i got to ask you, first of all, 1,000 games. Uh, what does that mean to you, first of all? You know, I, and honestly, it flew by. And, and there's things that I keep track of and it's usually not wins and losses or, or games managed in a, in a specific place, but it really was, uh, when I look back on it, what it meant to me was the, the rosters that I've had throughout eight seasons, including this one, and uh, 
some of them are really special. And, and you know, some of them are winning, a lot of them are winning teams, but a lot of them are players that are no longer in the system that you just had a good bond with. They were really good organizational players. And I was very fortunate to be able to manage at lower levels. I managed in Bluefield, I managed in Aberdeen. So a lot of these kids that I had throughout those eight years, I was their first manager in Aberdeen. And an example, that's Caleb Joseph. And yeah. so in thinking back of a thousand games, you think about the great kids that you had along the way that are out being successful people that are no longer playing in the Orioles system. And they, they call occasionally and they stop by, but that's really what I thought about. I thought about all the kids that, that I've been able, fortunate enough to be around, you know? Well, it's, it's really important, you know, especially at that level to me, because like you said, a lot of these kids don't get a chance to put that Major League Baseball uniform on. So, uh, you know, this is kind of like I almost equate it to, to college to some degree in that you have to prepare yourself for something else if that dream doesn't, you know, come to fruition. You know, one of the, 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 the nicest things that, uh, that I see once in a while is, is, is you see some of your former players becoming either professional coaches or college coaches we have an array of them. I bumped into one. We were just in Erie, Pennsylvania, and Nick Vitaliano, who pitched just a couple seasons for us in Delmarva, and I was fortunate enough to be there, and he's now a scout with the Cincinnati Reds. So, you know, Zach Clark, who's a successful right-hander, got a cup of coffee in the big leagues with Baltimore. You know, he's a successful scout. So there's, there's people that you see along the way, and you have along the way, that they're, they're, the taste that baseball leaves them with when their career's over that they want to stay in it. And you feel, honestly, and I feel, and our coaches should feel, that they played part of that taste. Because sometimes when a player's released or their career ends, they're a little bitter, maybe about how it all transpired, and maybe they felt they didn't get the opportunity, and they don't want to be around the game. And they, right. they, they go far enough away. So that that's a nice feeling. When Now, one of the guys that has come through there and is back down there, or was last night for the start of a rehab, is Jonathan Scope. Number one, tell all the fans exactly how he looked last night. Well, you know, it was kind of a it was a rough night because because uh, of the weather. You know, we were we were expecting some impending rain, which we eventually got. So he played about four and a half innings of baseball, and you know, when and when you're getting there, you're trying to get your feet on the ground, and you certainly John's a pro, and he was always a guy that wanted to make. Uh, a good impression to anybody that came in that ballpark. And, you know, he, uh, he struck at his first at bat, he battled, and, uh, and then the second at bat, he chased a high fastball and popped up. He turned a 5-4-3 double play and, and handled another ground ball. So, I mean, it was just, when you have a guy down there, you just, honestly, you want him to get through the night healthy. That's yeah. really the big thing. I mean, if they can provide some offense or make a stellar defensive play, that's outstanding, but I just want him to get through there healthy, and uh, he's going to be down in Norfolk today playing because our weather looks a little uh, – could be a little testy tonight. A little, little iffy, and I'm wondering about that too because the Nationals play the Phillies at 4.05, so I'm wondering – we had a 39-minute delay down there last night. I'm hoping uh, that, that, that we can skate through without much of a delay because there's a hockey game to watch tonight. I hear you. I'm a Caps <laughs> fan. I, I've been following it, you know. Gary, let me ask you this. What – at the level, at the minor league level, it's all about really development of players. 
and everybody wants to win, but sometimes that doesn't happen. What motivates you day in and day out to continue the grind of a long baseball season? Well, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, I do want to win. And uh, I every day when, when I come to the ballpark, when I write a lineup card, I try to put guys in a place where they can be successful and they can develop. And sometimes that's dictated by the organization. But you put a lineup card together to win a ball game that night. And I feel that through, I think, through development or through winning, you develop. Yeah. I mean, I really believe it kind of goes hand in hand. Now, certainly there's times where you have a prospect and maybe he's in a situation where maybe he's scuffling a little bit and you might have something better on the bench that day. But for his development, he gets those at-bats. You know, so there's times where you, uh, it doesn't matter, development comes head, you know, way over winning a ball game. Right. You know what I'm saying? So development is first, and it's the priority, and that's our job is to further along that ball player. But winning, winning atmosphere in a clubhouse, because honestly, I've been fortunate where in the eight seasons I've been there, I've had six winning seasons, and this one's still at, at whether it's going to be yay or nay. But uh, <laughs> Well, you're what? You're 13, uh, up, one, 13 up, 13 down, right? Right. Okay. And, uh, you know, but we have, we have to start playing better. But, you know, but, but six of those seasons, we were in some sort of playoff picture. And I tell you what, there's nothing better than, uh, than that feeling. That feeling is unbelievable. And uh, to know that you have a chance to – extend your season and play for something and you know possibly i mean and, and honestly it's a long year for a minor league player they're on and off buses and mm-hmm. it's not flights and all that type of thing and so a player can get a little weary but i was surprised you know being in some playoff pictures and in some playoff opportunities in the eastern league that these players get excited about it. it's important to them you got uh, a, a lot of players that have come through uh the players that you've overseen when you talk about a Machado, a Scope, a Cisco, Bundy, Gosman, Mancini, uh, you, you know, for all of the knack, knack that this this organization gets a lot of time from the national media about mm-hmm. about this organization's minor league system, it's produced some pretty good players. It has, you know, it it has, and it just it's just the way. I mean, you're always going to hear things that you. You know, somebody's always going to say something that's, that, that's, that's not popular. Yeah. And I think our body of work, and Brian Graham, who runs our farm department, has uh, very good roving instructors and very good people in place. And I think we've, we, uh, we've done a really good job. I mean, there's always room for improvement. There's always room to, you know, to, to, to hit on the to make a guy a better player and, and to get a guy to the forefront. But I think we've done a good job. And um, I look at some players that are kind of on the verge, you know, that we have. I mean, there's a, there's a really talented group of young guys in Delmarva. There's a couple guys in Frederick. There's a couple guys on our roster. So there's, there's, uh, there's players out there, and we just need to consistently just uh, work with them, and, you know, hopefully they're in our future. I know he's at Frederick right now, but how much have you seen of Preston Palmero? Well, instructional leagues, mostly in spring training. He played on our roster in spring training on our double-A roster, and so I got a chance to see him play a little first when he first signed, and then second base, and second base is coming along, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, making that routine play, and, you know, second base, you have to have agility and some arm strength to turn the double play, and, you know, first step quickness, and uh, he's 
working on that daily. I tell you what he's got. And I was fortunate enough to be around in the 1990s as a batting practice pitcher and saw Rafael Palmero swing the bat. Very similar swing. I was going to say, he looks a lot like his dad, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he does. And that, that, is a, that is an ultimate compliment. Oh, no That's question. The ultimate compliment because I tell you what, when he took a dry swing, he didn't have to hit a baseball. When he took a dry swing, the bat was born in his hands, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And a uh, really good-looking swing, and, and Preston possesses that. And so uh, the future's bright, man. He's a nice kid. Our, our last few minutes with Gary Kendall, who's the manager of the Bowie Bay Sox, and I got to ask you this, too. Uh, in terms of this organization, from the time McPhail was here, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of the success the Orioles achieved uh, getting to the postseason three of these years uh, over the course of the last six or seven, uh, you know, he, he was a large part of putting that together, but we gone from that uh, uh, along with having Buck there as manager and, and of course, uh, uh, with Duquette. Uh, how have those guys been to work with? They've been outstanding to work with. They trust you. Mm-hmm. They put you in a position. You know, Buck's about trust. And if Buck doesn't trust you, you're not around real long. And, right. uh, you know, it's in spring training, I tell you, he makes such an impact in spring training, the detail on how things are ran. And he bestows a lot of trust in everybody. I'm not just talking about managers and coaches. I'm talking about he trusts from the groundskeepers to the people in the office, the information that he's given daily. Mm-hmm. And when you see that type of work ethic, you don't want to fail him. And you don't want to disappoint him because he's a sharp guy. He's built ball clubs throughout his whole career in baseball, very successful in the minor leagues. And when you have people in Dan's track history, you know, being with Boston and Montreal, I mean, I remember those Montreal clubs that were built over there with good drafts with Gary Hughes and the farm department and the good staffs that they had. I mean, it was uh, so, I mean, they've been very good to me and my family, and I'm very fortunate. But uh, they've been good to Baltimore, and they turned this thing around, and uh, and hopefully we can get this thing turned around here and and get back on it. But uh, great to work with, and, and I'm very fortunate. I pinch myself daily. <laughs> Last question for you before we let you go, and that's managerial as- aspirations at the major league level. Do they do they burn? Mine? Do they burn with you? Oh, you certainly. Always yeah. think about stuff like that, but that's not what this is all about. Really, oh, I, I know that, but I just you know, meant... I, oh, definitely. You, there's no doubt. You know, I, I've, our Patrick Leland's our third base coach in uh, in uh, here in Bowie. His mm-hmm. father, Jim Leland, who I know and uh, been associated with in spring training, and get a chance to have dinner with him periodically. You know, and he says, uh, and this is not to knock the major major league thirty major league managers that are out there. Mm-hmm. But he always says this, and it's a confident thing for him to say to a, to a manager is that the, the difference between you and a lot of them is a break. It's yeah. being in the right place or somebody, giving them an opportunity um, that you haven't got. And uh, because, you know, when you're up there, and there's certainly there's ball clubs that are a challenge to manage, you know, when you're talking about dollars and cents and how much is pumped into them financially. But when, when you're looking at, Guys making moves, X's and O's, and how to run a pitching staff. I mean, you know, running a pitching staff in Bowie's tough. It's not nearly as tough and as fast as it happens in the major leagues, but it's it's a it's a good gauge, you know. I mean, it, the game speeds up as you move on, and you're certainly. I always think about that, but you know, I'm also a realist to know that there's other ways that I can help our system 
if that never presents itself. And I'm on board with anything, you know, that they have for me. Well, Gary, you're an asset to the organization, no question about it. And congratulations on the milestone of 1,000 games. And uh, hopefully you get that game in today against Akron. Yeah, we'll talk in another 1,000, all right? Hey, absolutely. We'll do it. <laughs> we will do it. All Gary right. Kendall, thanks a lot for being you. with us all on right. the Battle Round. Take care. Appreciate it. Gary Kendall, and that's quite an achievement, you know, when you're dealing with young players and they're trying to fight to get to the major leagues and – you're you're trying to be a, a mentor to them and a teacher and a developer of talent. Uh, that says a lot, and the Orioles are very lucky to have Gary Kendall in their organization. We're going to take a timeout, and when we get back, we're going to make our connection with Dave Jagler, the play-by-play voice of the Washington Nationals. Some good things going on down the road in D.C., like a six-game winning streak. We'll talk to Jags about that after this. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit givetogoodwill.org. When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammer and nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the ultimate man cave nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out, and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the close edge razor shave, all at Hammer and Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer and Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer and Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone go listen to section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336 instead of us telling you why we're awesome let's have other people tell you why we're awesome this person says definitely a bunch of Orioles fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets section 336 is the greatest baltimore orioles podcast around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky, they might even talk about the Ravens. Josh, Matt, and Bert are a must-listen every week. Check Section 336 out for yourself on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka looks at the final NFL draft for Ozzie Newsom as Ravens general manager and how he's built the franchise over the last two decades. Additionally, what does the future hold for UMBC after their historic NCAA tournament win over Virginia? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Arena football is back in Charm City. The Baltimore Brigade, presented by MedStar Health, return for another season of football action at Royal Farms Arena. Tickets start as low as $14, and they're available at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. WWE Ringsider presents SmackDown Live at Royal Farms Arena, Tuesday night, May 8th. Tickets available now at the box office and Ticketmaster. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron. Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com Two radio guys and an ex-football player and they're talking wrestling. Can you believe that? Uh, they picked the wrong sport to talk about. I, I know. Anyway, welcome back to the Bat Around. I'm Craig Heiss sitting in for Stan the Fan. And on the phone with us right now is the play-by-play voice, along with Charlie Slows, from the Washington Nationals. He is Dave Jagler. Dave, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Craig. Good morning to you. All right. Let's, uh, we got a little, little thing going down the road that's uh, pretty good right now, and that's a six-game winning streak for these Nationals. And, uh, you know, I think Dave Martinez gets a lot of credit for this streak because ever since he put Bryce Harper at the top of that lineup, things uh, the offense certainly has gotten itself in gear. Yeah, it's quite a, you know, point A to point B. It seems like a direct correlation between those two events. And Harper had been leading the world in walks over the first month of the season. And with uh, the lineup being depleted, with Anthony Rendon and Adam Eaton and Daniel Murphy all on the disabled list, you know, Harper's the guy that you want to be able to drive in runs and frankly, Harper wasn't getting a chance to swing the bat in, in run-producing situations or almost in any situation. Even if there was nobody on base, and you could sense Harper's frustration level growing, that he was getting the Barry Bonds treatment, and he was starting to swing at pitches out of his strike zone. So uh, I, I, get, I get the sense that maybe Martinez just said, why not? You know, what we're doing isn't working, so let's try something different rather than trying the same thing. And it worked last year for the Cubs. When they put Anthony Rizzo in the leadoff spot, it got his back going after a bit of a slow start. And, you know, hand-in-hand hand with Harper, you know, getting pitches to hit in the leadoff spot has been what's happened throughout the lineup. Matt Adams hitting third has gotten hot. And then, really, Wilmer Defoe batting ninth, getting on base almost every time uh, that uh, he's had a chance, gives Harper a chance to hit with men on base and prevents the opponents from pitching around him. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Wilmer Defoe, I mean, we saw last year – what this kid was all about when he got a chance to play, uh, you know, when Turner went down and the way he produced and was able to just continue that and then get better every day defensively. I mean, he's proven to everybody that he belongs in the major leagues and is a regular everyday player. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's got the he's got the tools defensively to play shortstop. I mean, maybe he's the second baseman of the future. You know, if Murphy departs after the season in free agency. But uh, as far as at the plate, you know, I, I think Defoe has very aggressive tendencies, and at times that can get him into trouble swinging at pitches out of the strike zone. But here, batting ninth. He's almost taken it at the approach, and I don't know if this is something that, that Davey and, and hitting coach Kevin Long told him to do, like a second leadoff hitter. So he's mm-hmm. been very, very patient, and he's drawing walks out of that number nine spot. You would think that the last thing the pitcher wants to do is walk Defoe to get to Harper, but you know, maybe that the, you know that pressure of the pitcher that, hey, I, I don't want to walk him, I don't want to walk him, and all of a sudden you're, you're 3-0 and and you walk him. You know, Defoe is being very patient. Uh, he, he's got the talent. He can, he can hit line drives from both sides of the plate. He's got speed. So it's just a matter of harnessing that aggressiveness and staying in the strike zone and not getting himself out. And that's allowed him to have this run of success. Dave, you mentioned Bryce at the top of that lineup with him and Turner and Matt Adams uh, going one, two, three for Dave Martinez. Since that's happened, 16 for 46, which is a 348 average, two doubles, nine homers, 21 RBI, eight walk, and 17 runs scored between the three of them since Davey put Bryce at the top of that lineup. That's some pretty impressive numbers. <laughs> yeah, I, and no question. I mean, because all three have gotten hot at the same time. Right. And, and we know that uh, you know, Matt Adams used to hit the Nationals pretty hard when he was with the Cardinals, and that would only be seeing him two series a year. I know there was one series uh, around 2014 or 2015 where Adams had been on the DL with the Cardinals, and he came off the DL for a three-game series in St. Louis, and he homered in all three games against the Nationals. <laughs> he was just one guy that... You know, even though he wasn't an everyday player, I looked at him on the other side. I'm like, man, this guy just just kills the Nationals. And then last year he came in the division with the Braves, and you know had some good games against the Nats, uh, replacing Freddie Freeman. And you, you look at this guy and say, man, he's a, he's a good hitter. He just never had the chance to be an everyday player. I think part of that is the the splits against the lefties. I mean, I think a lot of you know the Cardinals maybe looked at that as, hey, you know, he, he doesn't uh, doesn't hit lefties well, so we can't necessarily give him the everyday time. You know, where is he going to fit defensively? Maybe on our club he doesn't have a position. Well, the injuries have opened up left field, and while he's not going to win a gold glove out there, you know, he catches what he gets to, and last night he got to one at the top of the fence and robbed a two-run homer. So at least for the first seven, eight innings of a game, you use his bat, get the lead, you can defense for him in the ninth inning, and that formula's worked very well. Pitching staff-wise for this ball club, uh, when you when you think about the top two in Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, they've been responsible for ending two losing streaks so far in the first five weeks of the season. What a luxury that is to have something like that at the top of your rotation. Yeah, I, mean, I think Max is you know well on his way, uh, you know, assuming good health for the rest of the year and thirty plus starts to another Cy Young. He's he just the one thing about Max, and you, you know it from being around him in that clubhouse, is as good as he is, he's not satisfied with that. He's always looking for some way to get better and to improve himself. And to me, that's been the use of the cutter. Now, it's a pitch that he uses a lot more than he ever did his first year with the Nationals. He uses it to get in on left-handed hitters and to give him something that, that breaks in to set up the changeup down and away. So now he's got the straight fastball, which he can ride up in the zone. He's got the cutter, which he can bust in on their hands. Mm-hmm. He's got the changeup that he can start on the plate and fade down and away off the plate. So he can basically cover the whole plate on left-handed hitters. He's always been able to do that on right-handed hitters with his wicked slider. But now, you know, that, that, that cutter, which is, it starts inside corner and just bores in on their hands, he extends that plate. And if you're a left-handed hitter 
you've got to cover not only the, the width of the plate, but a little bit off the plate in and a little bit off the plate away. So it, it really, it just it made him better as far as getting left-handed hitters out. If you remember that first year, 2015, he had a stretch where he gave up a lot of home runs, and he ended up with a 14-12 and 12 record. I mean, his other stats were very respectable, high strikeouts, you know, hits in his pitch and all that, but he, he, used that, he uses that cutter now, I think, to have gotten even better, and he's using it more this year. So he's always looking for that way to improve himself. And as good as he is, he's only getting better, which is scary for the rest of the league. We saw this team go through kind of a mediocre April, win four in a row to start, lose five, uh, and then it was, you know, hit and miss the rest of the time. And they finished the month under 500. But what's been the most impressive thing to you during this six-game winning streak? Um, well, I mean, I kind of kind of what we talked about. I mean, I think, uh, you know, just, just Defoe setting tape, the table at the bottom of the lineup to me is, has been the key. But uh, you know, up up and down. I mean, I think everything is is clicking along right now. Uh, you know, what happened? I think in April is you saw. We haven't talked about the bullpen yet. You saw the the big three at the back end: Sean Doolittle, Ryan Matson, Brandon Kinsler. You're not winning a lot of games. So now, when you're behind by a run or two, you know, Davey Martinez was using those guys to try to keep the deficit where it was to help you know try to get late inning rallies. So now you use them when you're behind, and now the next day. Maybe you're tied or ahead, and you've got to use them again. And all of a sudden, you're using them maybe three times out of four days and, and not necessarily winning all those games. So I think that uh, the fact that they've gotten this offense going has allowed them to get their pitching staff lined up, not overuse the back end of the bullpen, and, and get a winning streak going. Because really, Madsen, in particular, at his age, was on a pace that, that isn't good. When he, when he pitches yeah. 15 times in a month, 15 times six months of the season is 90. Right. You don't want Ryan Madsen on a 90 appearance track, you know, he's more at this stage, 60 to 65 appearances. And the same with the other guys. I mean, you know, even though they're, they're younger, I mean, I don't think they want Kinsler and, and uh, Doolittle throwing much more than, than 70 appearances, hoping that you might get 10 more appearances in October. So uh, I think that's something that's really helped here recently. They've had some wins where they haven't had to use those guys. It was kind of unfortunate. They had to last night, they had to use two of the three in a game. They led seven to nothing, but, you know, with, with a couple of blowout wins, they able to get their pitching staff back the way they want it. Yeah, and Geo last night was really good, but you, you got to figure with the rain delay, and it was 39 minutes, he came back out, got through the fifth, and that, that kind of was big because that set him up for a win, but uh, he probably goes maybe an inning or two longer had not been for the rain delay. Yep. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, unfortunately, Trevor got, you know, just tweaked an ankle, and then he serves up two home runs, maybe not pitching at full strength, and all of a sudden you go from 7 nothing to 7-3, and you're bringing the back-end guys in. Because, you know, you, if, if that's another run or two, all of a sudden you're in a save situation. So, you know, I think Davey Martinez looked at it, hey, we're up four, let's win this game now. You know, so, some managers look at it, hey, well, it's not a quote-unquote save situation, so I'm not going to use my, my big guys, but you still have a chance to win a ball game, and you don't know what's going to happen today. Maybe, you, maybe you're behind today, or maybe you win big, or maybe it rains. You know, you had a chance to win yesterday's game, and, and they, he went for it, and they got it. So, uh, you know, I like how he, he managed the bullpen there. And uh, we saw our first real extended glimpse of, of Wander Suero, who had an impressive spring training until he tweaked his oblique, cost him a chance maybe to make the opening day roster. He comes in when, when Gott had given up the home runs, and the Phillies have a little momentum, and he puts down five in a row. Right. So he was able to bridge the gap to, to Madsen in the eighth inning. So, uh, you know, Davey Martinez has desperately been searching for somebody beyond the big three. You know, Sammy Solis has kind of emerged as that fourth guy. 
Sammy's had some good outings, a couple outings where he struggled, but he's certainly probably the, the fourth guy in that mix. You need someone beyond those three plus Solis to get you out if there are days when the other guys aren't available. Or like I said, if you're, if you're down 3-2 in the seventh inning, you want someone who can keep it there so your offense, offense can run. If you're down 3-2, to two, all of a sudden it's 6-2, to two, most of the time you're going to lose that game. Yeah. So uh, Swander could be a guy to emerge. You know, Sean Kelly and Matt Grace are, are hopefully coming off the DL uh, here at the start of the next road trip. Uh, so those are other options. But somebody has got to step forward beyond the, the three who are, who are in seven, eight, and nine. Well, one person we should get back today, either today or tomorrow, is certainly Anthony Rendon. And uh, it, it's interesting to see how that lineup will configure for Dave Martinez now with Rendon back in it. Yeah, I'm sure that that may have cost him a little bit of tossing and turning last night. He, he jokingly said, Rendon's not going to make my lineup because Defoe's <laughs> so right. hot. You don't want to take him out. But let, let's say this. I mean, Defoe obviously profiles as the nine, nine here. If, if you're gonna hit, let, let me say this. If you're going to hit Harper first, and this is working now, you can't hit the pitcher ninth. No. Because if the eight, number eight hitter gets a hit and the pitcher bunts him over, you're inviting that intentional walk You know, 90 times out of 100 and you're defeating the purpose of trying to get Harper pitches to hit. So the pitcher's got to hit eight, so who's going to hit nine? Right. Well, then, second base. Oh, I think we lost Dave. Hello? Dave, are you there? You, you got me? Yeah, okay, now it's a little bit better. Yeah, maybe just a bad sell. Okay. What I was saying is, you know, Defoe, uh, you know, we're talking about the pitcher uh, having to hit eight in that uh, in that scenario. Um you know, your ninth place hitter, maybe Defoe plays second base today. Give Kendrick a day off or play shortstop because Turner hasn't had a day off. So you find a way to get Defoe in the lineup. Otherwise, maybe it's maybe it's Michael Taylor who tries to hit ninth and be that second leadoff guy to get on base to give Harper somebody to, to drive in. So uh, I know Dave Martinez has, has probably been tossing and turning on that one, and let's see what he comes up with today if Randone's back in the lineup. We're talking with Dave Jagler, play-by-play voice on the radio for the Washington Nationals. And, Dave, one more question before we let you go, and that's, I'm, I've been very impressed with Dave Martinez from the beginning for this reason. He handled a, a, a rather shaky start to the year in a first shaky month. But then with the, 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 the move for Harper to, to the leadoff spot, but even before that, he kept reinforcing to the guys, and this, you know, it was a pretty veteran-laden group for the most part, uh, but, but he kept reinforcing to the guys when they weren't hitting and they weren't scoring runs, look, this is going to change. The worm is going to turn. Everything's going to start coming together. You just got to keep going with it. And I think from that standpoint, Bryce Harper said a lot the other day after he hit the home run. He came. There was a big hug in the dugout. But he talked about Davey saying, "This is the kind of guy you want to go to. You want to go to war with." Yeah, I think he's really good at, at, at communicating, and I think we've seen that uh, in the case with the starting pitchers. I mean, Gio Gonzalez. Had a couple of quick hooks, and Gio, I think, was upset about it. Well, instead of letting it fester, they talked it out. And, you know, he let Gio go that seven innings in, in his previous start. I think he's had to do the same thing with Jeremy Hellickson, pulling him early. I mean, Davey's not going to sit back in his office and let things fester. I think he's he's out there. He's communicating with the players. If he's going to change the batting order, he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you why he's doing this. You know, before he ever made that move, to, to Harper and leadoff spot, he called Harper in and say, hey, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's been very, very good at reading the pulse of that room. I mean, this is not, you know, the, the 1970s, you know, where, 
where Gene Mock or, or Earl Weaver is just going to lay down the law. It's my way or the highway. I mean, the, the, these players aren't used to that kind of leadership. So you, the players have to take ownership of what's going on. And, and in some ways, you want them to feel like these decisions are, are almost coming from them. So I think Davey Martinez has allowed the players to, to feel like hey, they're a big part of, of this decision-making process. You know, Ryan Zimmerman spring training, that was something that came uh, from Zim. So mm-hmm. uh, I think he's willing to, to allow the players uh, that, that latitude to say, hey, what can I do to best get ready to play? Well, I'm going to trust you to know how you get uh, best ready to play. So I, I think they respect that. Uh, he's certainly not afraid to try things that go against the norm as far as batting order positions. I think his bullpen usage has been much different than we've been used to as far as previous national managers. Mm-hmm. We're a little more old school, going to do little for the five-out save. That's something that there hasn't been a whole lot of around here. You know, the one game where he flip-flopped Madsen to the seventh and Kinsler to the eighth, depending on the time of the batting order. You know, he's certainly he's a blend of the new school with, with some old school in there, and I think it's so far been a nice mix. Well, Dave, so far this uh, last uh, week or so has been a lot of fun. Let's hope it continues today. 4.05 start with uh, Tanner Roark on the hill today for the Washington Nationals. And we'll see you down the ballpark. Thanks for being with us. Sounds good, Craig. All right, man. All right, Dave Jagler, play-by-play voice of the Washington Nationals. And, uh, you know, the one thing about this team is I, I, I sometimes don't think a lot of people appreciate Bryce Harper for the player that he is. And he comes in last night, the second time this week that he's hit a leadoff homer, leading off the bottom of the first, second multi-homer game in the last week, you know, and uh, – a lot of that is just getting him some pitches to hit and then being able to, as Dave said, have Wilmer Defoe hitting ninth with the pitcher hitting eighth. And that seems to have turned this lineup and, and this team around a little bit and getting them going in the right direction because offensively this team is going to score some runs, uh, but it's just taking them a while to get going. We're going to head out to the phone lines again and bring in our good buddy from MLB.com, Bill Latson. And uh, he uh, does the Newsmakers podcast for MLB.com. Bill, good morning. How are you? Doing great, Craig. How you doing? I'm doing well. First of all, I want you to tell everybody the project that you're working on uh, as the D.C. region gets set for the All-Star Game at Nats Park this year uh, in July. Uh, I understand you're talking to a whole bunch of old former nationals. Yes, I am. Um, I'm talking to uh, members of the 2005 team. Apparently, the Nationals have invited the in, almost the entire team from, uh, to come to this All-Star game. And uh, I've been talking to John Patterson, um, Nick Johnson, Chad Cordero. Great to talk to these guys the, again. The chief. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, they're all doing well. And uh, I can't wait to uh, see them. I spoke to them and it was like I wanted to cry almost uh, when I spoke to, especially John Patterson, because, as you know, John Patterson's uh, career ended, you know, with an injury, and uh-huh. uh, he's doing well. He's a he's a coach right now. He's also a real estate guy, so he's doing real well. Uh, the big nasty. That's correct. He's That's called the big nasty. The, the big nasty. He had that one. He won. He had that one great year in two thousand five, and uh-huh. uh, wow. Uh, you know, if he had the run support, he would have won more games. What a crazy year that was. First year for the Nationals in D.C. playing at <clears throat> RFK Stadium. The first year with Frank Robinson as the manager, they go f- 51-30, and 30, or was it 50-31 and 31 
either way in the first 15, half. It was, right, it was 15-31. 15-31, and, uh, and then it was the exact same, but only on the losing end. It was 31-50 and 50 the second half of the season. But it, you know it was what? You, you think about that whole year and thinking back on it, Bill, no one would have ever expected that team to play as well as they did in the first half. And here we were heading into the All-Star break, and people are talking about whether or not this team can make a run to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, Craig, if you remember, you know, you're doing the Nationals on justice because the Nationals were in the playoffs race until uh, really the middle of September. Yeah. And then, uh, and then they, they just faded. And, you know, and I think also because Frank Robinson used Chad Cordell way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you, you know, I mean, that team, I agree with you, that team should have went to the playoffs, but uh, it wasn't meant to be. Well, I know you're not down here covering this particular team, but they're on a six-game mm-hmm. winning streak now. And yeah. a lot of that changed, and this offense started to get in gear when Dave Martinez brought Bryce Harper into the into the into the office and said, "What do you think about hitting leadoff?" Because Bryce was taking a lot of walks, they weren't pitching to him. You could see him starting to get frustrated. You could see him kind of, which I think is silly, by the way. But go ahead. But anyway, but uh, you you could see him uh, start to get frustrated a little bit, swinging at some pitches out of the zone, uh, just being kind of impatient. But Martinez made this move. He's batting the pitcher eighth. He's using Wilmer Defoe right now in the nine hole. And that's basically setting the table for Harper, Turner, and 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 Matt Adams behind him. Yes. Uh, you know, so far so good for the Nationals. I mean, they're, uh, they're game over 500 now. And I, I think when it comes right down to it, they have to be healthy. Yeah. And, and they get, they'll get Rendon back either today or tomorrow. Yes, I mean, obviously they need him back in the worst way. And I, and I think um, once he gets back, things will be even better. I mean, you know, Craig, it's almost a shame we talk about the regular season because they're going to do well. They're going to do well. I just want to see them do well in the postseason. Well, now this, and, this, is, uh, this is from a man. This is from a man who will text me in the middle of the night after the Yankees have a nine-game winning streak. They get beat by the Astros in a game that they probably should have won, but they lost late. And then it's Yankees don't have what it takes. Their <laughs> pitching's not good <laughs> enough. Then they win four straight, and then I get a text. Looks like they're back on track. But it's a pretty damn good team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, the, the Yankees uh... – they're going to give the Red Sox uh, a tough time. Um, I, I still think the Red Sox are really good. I'm not going to say the Yankees are going to win the division. But I think it's, it's going to be those two teams in the division, and that's pretty much it. You mean you don't give the Orioles much of a chance? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Not. I, They're I, done. I just wanted to, just wanted to clarify that. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, last night we had a four-pitcher no-hitter with the Dodgers down in Mexico against the Padres. And uh, it started with Walker Bueller uh, throwing six innings and striking out eight. And then I guess uh, Singrani came in and uh, Garcia behind him and Libertor behind him, uh, each one of those three with an innings worth of work. But uh, uh, one of the no-hitters that I've covered in my career, and I've covered five of them, was the four-pitcher no-hitter by the Orioles out in Oakland at the Coliseum. Uh, mm-hmm. Malaki, Williamson, 
uh, Greg Olson and Mark Williamson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Olson closed it out, but Malaki started it and uh, left because of a blister, I believe, on his finger. But I was there and I covered that. So while it's it's not one guy going the distance, uh, a four-pitcher no-hitter, and I know the Yankees had one uh, at Yankee Stadium thrown against them against, with, the w- against the Astros with six guys. So that's even stranger. Right. Right, uh, you, you, kind of I a rare, it, kind of a rare feat, though. I love it, though. I mean, nothing wrong with that, and uh, you know, we probably see a few more before it's all over. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> we, we had that the big news in baseball last night, of course, uh, along with Albert Pujols, uh, who's the thirty-second player to attain three thousand hits in a in yeah. a in a career, and he did that against the Mariners uh, up in Seattle last night. So. Again, Pujols, and I remember when he left the Cardinals and the Angels gave him all that money and everybody talked about how how bad a contract that was. And then I know he had the injury issues when he was in Anaheim, but he's turned out to be a pretty good player for them. Yes, and uh, and they're doing well too, Craig. And uh, it's good to see them win. And it helps to Mike Sosa is on the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, you know, they can uh, – this can help him get an extension. Well, you know, you could argue that that division uh, with the Angels and the Astros sitting, you know, at the top and uh, a lot of people, even even the A's have played probably above their head. You know, that's that's a pretty tough division all of a sudden. It is a tough t- division. And when you have, especially when you have Houston in there too. And uh, I, I think uh, the Angels are going to stay in there. To the end. Are they going to win the division? I don't think so. But I think they have a chance to go to the wild card. Well, let me ask you this. As far as your podcast are concerned, uh, and like I said, I know you've been working on this project for the All-Star Game, but as far as your podcast are concerned, uh, what's on the horizon and what have you been doing? Well, right now, Craig, I've been, uh, I haven't been working on the podcast. I've been working on these you know, projects for the All-Star Game. And I've actually been covering the Braves believe it or not, and I'm coming to the Rockies this weekend. So it's been a low with the podcast, but uh, but I've been you know pretty busy doing other things. Well, it was funny because uh, uh, our good friends Mark Zuckerman and uh, and also Jamal uh, from MLB.com, uh, Jamal Collier, uh, we were we were teasing each other last night, and and they both looked at me, and I walked by, and they said, "Is he calling you too?" And I said, no, he hasn't called me tonight. And then, then we were, got talking about you covering the Braves uh, for that series up in, at City Field against the Mets. So I just decided to go down and text you and said, we've all decided that now you're covering the Braves. You're considered the enemy. Not that you weren't before. <laughs> not that you weren't before, but really you are now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what what a fun. great what a great turnaround story that is and for a lot of different reasons Freddie Freeman's one of my favorite players because number 1 he's a, he's a known Nationals killer number 2 yeah. number 2 Nick Markakis has all of a sudden reinvented himself and and the power stroke to some degree is, is back he had his fifth home run the other night and actually last night I think it was but uh uh, he's having a, a fabulous start to this season. And all of a sudden, these Braves, while I still don't think they're, they're going to beat out the Nationals for the division title, this NL East is a little bit different than what we've seen in the past few years. No doubt about it, Craig. And, you know, it's so funny you mentioned Marcakis because uh, I spoke to Marcakis 
um, the other day. And believe it or not, I know it's early. He called this team one of the best lineups he has he ever been around. Now he's been on in some on some good lineups with Andrew Jones, obviously, mm. and Matt Weeder. You mean uh, but, Adam Jones? Yeah, Adam Jones. Yes. Yeah. And uh, but but obviously, you know, um, he really believes in this Braves team. And uh, I mean, so far, I mean, so good. They've been scoring a lot of runs of late. So we'll see what happens. Well, and again, I think it's all going to boil down to their pitching and how well that holds up during the course of 162. Uh, and it's but, a young staff, too. And it's a young staff, so that's something to take into consideration, especially when you get later into the year and you start playing the, the big series within your division. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Right. No, no doubt about what's your, it. And, what's, your uh, take, what's your take on the Mets in terms of, number one, fast start, number two, now they've lost uh, seven of ten. They've fallen out of first place. They had uh, a Harvey situation uh, where they've gone ahead and uh, designated him designated. for assignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't want to accept a minor league uh, uh, assignment, which he has every right to do, obviously, contract-wise. But uh, you would have to think that if Matt Harvey's going to catch on somewhere else, Bill, he's got he's to go through an attitude adjustment. I uh, no doubt about it. You know what? You want to know something? I was thinking last night, it wouldn't surprise me if he went to the Nationals, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me. Well, you know. And I, say, and I say that because, number one, he's a Scott Boris client, number one. Okay. Number number two, I just think they need a fifth starter right now. And I, and I think if he gets his act together, and I think, I mean, this is Scott Boris we're talking about here. I think he would get his act together under the, you know, the, uh, the, the you know, the rizzles of the world. And the Harrises of the world, mm-hmm. I I think he can straighten out and become that fifth star. That wouldn't surprise me. Well, you, you you certainly bring up an interesting point. Uh, I will say this though, since he's gotten up here from the minor leagues, Jeremy Hellickson's pitched very well for them in three starts, and he was uh, uh, he, he, he his last two. He got into the fifth inning, then he went into the sixth inning last time. But Dave Martinez, he was throwing shutout ball. He got the first two outs of the inning, gave up a base hit in the sixth, so he goes five and two-thirds, and he threw 57 pitches in the one outing and six, mm-hmm. 61 in the second outing, and yet uh, there's no doubt in my mind that from an organizational standpoint, the Nationals are saying, nope, third time through the lineup with Hellickson, we're not going to go there, and they haven't right. gone there. So right. how, whether that changes or not, We'll have to wait and see, but uh, he has pitched pretty well for them since he got here. Yes, he has, but I think if they want to even get even better, I think Matt Harvey could help them. I really do. Yeah, but again, like I said, you're going to have a, you know, I, I think once he gets in that clubhouse, uh, some some people are going to uh, maybe understand, make him understand exactly what this is all about again. <laughs> right. Because right. you're talking but, about you're talking about a guy who continued to pitch through an injury. Remember in the postseason. And, and, and wound up hurting himself even more. Then he's out late one night. He doesn't show up to the ballpark the next day. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, that, and, you know you may, you may be able to slide that under the rug in some other areas, but not in New York. <laughs> no. And the thing is, though, I think he took going to the bullpen very badly. I was at his last game, and he was terrible. He was terrible. So I, I think they, the Mets, I, I'm telling you, I'm looking at it another way, too. I thought the Mets did the right thing. 
Oh, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you because for the good of the major league team, you know, you're, you're trying to straighten the player out, but you can't be doing that at the cost of winning and losing ball games at the major league level. Right, right. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think a change of scenery, scenery will do him good. I think he's going to have to be released because, from, from what I heard, they are having a tough time trying to trade him right now. So we'll see what happens. All right, Bill Latson of MLB.com. Uh, continued success on putting these pieces together uh, on the All-Star game that is coming up in Washington uh, in mid-July. Should be a great time at Nats Park for those four or five days uh, from the Futures game to the Celebrity Softball straight up to the home run hitting and then the game itself on that Tuesday night. So uh, good luck in getting uh, the rest of those players and, and being able to put that together. And also, uh, how can they get you? Uh, how can they get you on Twitter? Number one, they can get me at Latsonville twenty four. Latson at Latsonville twenty four. And yes. uh, you can always go to MLB.com. And uh, I, I'm assuming they have all those uh, podcasts archived, correct? Yes, they do. All right, and uh, Bill, thanks a lot for being with us. We'll talk to you down the road. Anytime. Take care. All right. Bill Latson, MLB.com. That's about going to wrap it up for us. We're going to take a timeout, come back, and say goodbye right after this. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka looks at the final NFL draft for Ozzie Newsom as Ravens general manager and how he's built the franchise over the last two decades. Additionally, what does the future hold for UMBC after their historic NCAA tournament win over Virginia? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Arena football is back in Charm City. The Baltimore Brigade, presented by MedStar Health, return for another season of football action at Royal Farms Arena. Tickets start as low as $14, and they're available at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Bring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s, Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third-row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's, get huge savings on over 200 pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road 
Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer-designated lenders. Sale ends 4 Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit givetogoodwill.org. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. I have absolutely no desire whatsoever to see Kyle Ottenheimer's chaps. Me either. All right. Good I enough. feel you on that one. Huh? <laughs> I feel you on that All one. All right. That's going to wrap up things for the bat around for this Saturday. And uh, we want to thank our guest lineup today that showed up and participated in the show Rich Dubroff from Pressbox and PressboxOnline.com. He still doesn't know what's wrong with the Orioles. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. All right, well, good enough. Glenn Clark, and, and we asked him about it, too, and he couldn't figure it out. Glenn Clark, Glenn Clark Radio right here at PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. And uh, you can catch Glenn Monday through Friday, uh, 10 to noon, right here. Uh, Gary Kendall, the manager of the Bowie Bay Sox, 1,000 career games uh, as the skipper there, and uh, quite an achievement. He joined us to talk about that. Uh, Jay Jagler, who is the play-by-play voice of the Washington Nationals. Nats on a pretty good roll right now. Six straight wins, looking to make it seven this afternoon at 4 o'clock against uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. Don't forget the Orioles in action tonight, uh, trying to snap a four-game slide against Oakland. That's a 9.05 start out at the Coliseum. And finally, Bill Latson of MLB.com. I'm really interested to see or, and to hear what Bill has done with this project he's working on. Uh, a lot of the players that he talked to from the first year the Nats were in town and moved from Montreal uh, and, and played their first year at RFK Stadium in D.C. Uh, as uh, they get a lot of people coming back to celebrate the All-Star Game, which is in Washington this year and will take place in July. Thanks to Brittany Everett for running everything and making us sound good, as good as possible. 
Yeah, you're welcome. All right. And then Towson. Towson has a big lacrosse game coming up today, right? They do. They play UMass today to see who wins the CAA championships. That's at 1 o'clock. All right. And that means that uh, the winner then will head to the uh, NCAA tournament, correct? Correct. And uh, Towson trying to win today, coming off an overtime win last time out. So this was back on Thursday, right? Yeah, they played University of Delaware. They won 9-8 to eight in overtime. All right. So... Look forward. Go Tigers this afternoon uh, in college lacrosse. And uh, we will, I don't know where I'll be next week. Depends on the schedule. I'll either be here with Stan or in by myself. Well, my I s- hope you're here because Stan's not here next weekend either. Oh, well, then I'll probably be <laughs> here next week. We'll I'll have to wait and see. We'll keep you posted. I'm Craig Heist in for Stan the Fan. Thanks uh, for listening and uh, also watching on Facebook Live. And we will see you next week. Bye.